Miss Yarrow, the Bertie. Greetings, heathens. Welcome to Hail Satan. This is the podcast exploring Satanism, culture, and life in general through the eyes of modern Satanists. My name is Joseph Rose, and I am a member of an amazing independent congregation called Satanic Delco. And we do welcome members from anywhere in the world. If you want to learn a little bit more about us, visit satanicdelco.com. Today, I'm going to present you with the second of our roundtable discussions, this time focused on the second of the seven fundamental tenets of the Satanic Temple. Before we get to that, let me acknowledge some wonderful people that have joined up on Patreon recently. We have Richard, Joselina, Julia, Gershom, Ashes, Patrick, Tatiana, Shania, Shania, Zane, John, Logan, Tyler, Travis, Brian, Victor, VH, Christopher, Taryn, Jonathan, Becca, and Trevor. Thank you all very, very much. You know that I love and appreciate your support, and uh, really, you make all of this possible. So thank you very much. If you have a moment, everybody, please visit the website at HailSatanPodcast.com. You will find links to join me on social media, a form to send me an email, and a link to join up with us all on Patreon. We have a few different tiers to choose from on there with various benefits, and that is the most direct way you can support me and this show if you'd like to do that. Visit HailSatanPodcast.com. Okay, now I will let you listen in on a portion of our roundtable discussion on the second tenet. That tenet is... The struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. About 40 of us from Satanic Delco were on the Zoom chat for this one, and the discussion went on for well over two hours. Obviously, I edited down a portion of that to share with you all on here, so let's get right into it. Here we go. Cora, you've got a hand raised. Go ahead. I just think this is the most satanic of all the tenets, to be honest, because if you look at the real reality of who Satan is, um, it's, a you know, Satan, the accuser, Satan, the, you know, arbiter of justice. To me, that is who I see as uh, as Satan, as the person and the, the symbol that I look to. Right. So that tenet really is what I take to heart when I think about my activism when I think about the different things that I do in my life to push the boundaries, you know, even when it comes to social justice, helping refugees, it doesn't really matter. You know, you, I, you have to do what is right. And I think that that is where that comes in, even if it's standing up to a God like Satan did. I guess that's my thing. Don't let me put you on the spot here, but I just want to ask a little about why you feel it is particularly a, a satanic quality. We know there's lots of uh, versions or examples of the character of Satan out there, and you know it's different things to different people from different sources. Is there anything that stands out as to why you feel like this one is satanic? For me, that it's because they 
you know, Satanists are the outsiders. Satanists are the people who are, you know, the other who are always looked down upon. And most of us have different things that we're going through. To me, it really allows us, it's who we are as people. If we look at our group, you know, and we look at why we chose Satan, you know, that is why we did it. It's because he is the outsider. He is the one who's challenging the status quo, the norm of what everyone is doing. And to me, that is why at the core of me that I'm a Satanist, that is why I look to this tenet as one of the most important things that you can do is challenge arbitrary authority and seek justice. To me, it's just a core part of my identity. Yep. Cool. Thank you, Cora. Next up, Tomoe, what have you got? In addition to everything that Cora just said, I flip it on the upside down level because I'm coming from the perspective of a non-binary, mixed race, pansexual, female presenting person. So in the history of history of things, it's white men get favored. So the law just kind of continuously takes a shit on people like me and people of color in general. So this attitude is exactly what I want to see in other people. And being a Satanist is, like Cora said, just being that rebel and embodying that kind of stuff moving forward. So this tenant, I think, is a very fucking important and satanic one on that level. Definitely. As you were saying that and, and you pointed out white men, and, you know, it's easy. I mean, we can take a look at the world and it's easy to see that white men as a category have enjoyed a they lot a of power. Yeah, they've enjoyed a lot of uh, privilege and positions of power throughout the decades and, and longer. Do you think white men through time have intentionally done things in a way that would protect or enable the white men club to continue its thing? Or do you think there's an underlying subconscious nature where a group of people just have their own perspective and sort of just go about their business, not necessarily meaning to preserve only themselves or to be somehow negative toward others, but because they've, yeah, yeah, that's a little bit of both for sure, because of the way that society is structured right now. Yeah. And certainly a lot of progress has been made. Um, we're seeing a lot of like gay rights laws coming into place. We're seeing a lot of uh, trans people coming into light. And not all of the news is great on that front, <laughs> Texas. Oh, yeah. um, but, you know, it's making headlines, whereas maybe 30 years ago, wouldn't have made headlines. Wouldn't have even been a fucking thing. Yeah, so stuff is shifting. It's just very, very slowly. But the pursuit of justice should prevail above all laws and institutions. Yeah. All right. Thanks, T. We've mm-hmm. got a hand up from Red Moon. So I actually wrote something about what this tenant does mean to me and like how I process this tenant. For me, I wrote this tenant was kind of tricky for me because it is a pretty risky tenant to think about. Um, It is one of those that you really have to critically think about for a long while until it makes sense to the individual. And here's an example of how I think and I use this tenant 
um, a good chunk of people these days has a pretty decent resume on peacefully protesting, coming together to speak on an issue. However, unfortunately, we don't live in a world that takes kindly to any resistance, even our governments, etc., police, whatever. Even if it is peaceful, we know especially nowadays with what we see on social media how an institution can start oppressing voices for example nowadays the russian people who are protesting against the war black lives matter lgbtq rights protests and other assemblies all had institutions arrest protesters but as a protester you have to understand that risk but for the struggle of for justice, these sacrifices are not only needed, but required for any progress to even happen. Yeah, the, and the, the people protesting any given thing ever are looking for change, obviously, and in their eyes, they would call that progress. And in the eyes of whoever it is they're protesting against, it would be the opposite, maybe, of progress, uh, an unwelcome change of some kind. It all depends on the specifics of the situation to make a subjective call about which one is progress, which one is good, which one is bad. And inevitably, we're going to have people with opinions on both sides of every issue, I'm sure. Of course. Um, and <laughs> like that, that is, is like the tricky part. <laughs> yeah, there is like a humanistic uh, for, like um, quality of it, too. Like what will eventually like, you know, make a certain marginalized group get better care in the world. With this one, the most simple sort of example that I think of all the time is civil rights generally, because the laws and institutions said one thing. For example, these people aren't equal. These people can't vote. At time, that's been black people. It's been women, you know, you name it. Um, and that was actually the law of the land. And the spirit of the law didn't feel in line with the actual laws and institutions in those cases. And so it was up to the people to strive for their version of justice. They thought this is wrong and the laws and institutions aren't in the right. And so we need to do whatever we can to make that change. And of course, a lot of those changes were made. And you know, different changes continue to be made over time in essentially the same type of way, you know, modern versions of the same things, uh, sometimes literally the same things, marches, you know, loud voices, things like that. Uh, so yeah, civil rights activism versus the law of the land, I think is the most simplified example of this one in action. And thanks for that. Next up, Dan. So I do believe in the second tenet. Uh, but I will say it is the only tenet that makes me feel a little uneasy at times. Sure, explain. Uh, when, I, when I consider some of the things that could lend itself to things like vigilantism. Uh, uh, yes. Because it's reasonable to interpret the second tenet as an endorsement of taking justice into your own hands. Correct. Which, you know, it's ne not necessarily a long approach, but the thing is that the idea of what justice is can vary so much from person to person. It's just very subjective. Yeah. Um, so... And when we think of the folks that stormed the Capitol, for example, I'm sure none of them identify as Satanists, but they were operating on the principles endorsed by the second tenant. But then, you know, on the other hand, when I consider things like the civil rights movement and the sort of oppressive laws and institutions throughout history, 
and even in the present day, uh, I ultimately agree with the second tenant. And I, I will say, I do help. I do think it helps a lot that this tenant is applied within the context of Satanism, where ideas of what's good or bad aren't founded in things like divine edicts. So if a Satanist is applying the principles of this tenant, there's at least the hope that their idea of justice is grounded in some sort of sensible philosophy, or at least something, you know, because the invisible man in the sky says so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. As you started, um, the first thing I thought of was, I bet you the people at the Capitol felt like or would tell you that they were striving for some sort of justice. And justice is they will. a. They will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they will. And, and not only will they say it, they believe it. Probably pretty seriously. They probably deeply believe it because you've got to be genuine enough about something to take an action. Uh, the way that they did. That's probably not a super casual decision to make about, you know, a random day. Here's what I'm going to do. They probably felt that it was worthwhile and important. And justice, like most things that we could think of, are subjective. And um, there's probably a lot of people here tonight that would counter one of those people saying that they were looking for justice with, well, (laughs) you were misguided at the very least. But yeah, you're right. One person's justice is maybe someone else's oppression. And that's the way it goes sometimes. Ashley, you're up. Okay. So I wanted to start first by saying that um, injustice is one of the things that like really lights a fire in me. <laughs> um, it, it's one of the things that has always made me feel like a deep, that like burn inside that we feel when we're like heated, angry, passionate but I also think that in, in, in addition to standing up for the bigger injustices, injustices in the world, I think this can also be taken further in challenging fairness in our daily lives, uh, like at work or school. Like if we see these things, I think that's our duty as humans to challenge those things, to challenge people to critically think and have empathy and compassion. And I like helping other people out if we can, like we have to do it. Yeah. Um, I think it's just something that is ingrained in human nature as well as evil things that are ingrained in human nature. <laughs> yeah. Would you say, and maybe this is strong, but would you say that anyone should feel an obligation to somehow actively participate in the struggle for justice? Um, I would say, Yes and no, because people are different. Um, And even even that is vague. The the struggle for justice even is vague. There's so many ways that one could. Right, right. I mean, I think if you're, I think if you're passionate about something and it it is an injustice issue that is um, grounded within reason, (laughs) I think you owe it to yourself to go after it and pursue it. And I think that's where this can play into that. So even thinking about all the ways, you know, the actual tangible ways, you know, sometimes it it becomes obvious and you can't miss it when there are things like civil rights or, or the protests following various police issues, George Floyd and, and so many of these things that happen, wars, conflicts, you name it. There's so many things that can 
rile up a group of people and motivate them to one way or another react or fight for what they feel is the right thing for justice. And there's inevitably the conflict that exists that it represents the laws and institutions. And that's another right. thing and to I consider. Mean, I, know it, I know that's a slippery slope for sure, because I mean, you know, I, we could say that, but then, you know, these, these parents that are going in and saying that literally bombarding school board meetings and stuff like that, like they think they are fighting injustice That's and right. you know, the majority of us are like, what is, what, can you stop? You know, like, so, so it's like, I say that, but at the same time, I feel like there's that within reason with compassion and empathy. Like if we're like, we were talking about with tenant one, these are kind of all stack on each other. So if we're yes. at two, we also have to think about one. That's right. Yeah. And you can, and, and I'm, they're all intertwined. So many of them get intertwined right. and, and within all of right. this involves uh, you could easily involve tenant number four and the freedom to offend and things like that. It's a, it's a wild web of uh, human interactions and, and emotions and all of that. Yeah. It's important. Thank you, Ashley. Bobby, you're next. Yeah. Um, justice is subjective. Doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. All of our morals and values are different. So we don't all want the same things. We don't all see the same things as oppressive. And our judicial system is terrible. Laws and institutions are mainly here to oppress everyone. Yeah. By nature of you being able to have that opinion, there are immediately people that would say, well, no, our system works really great, and it's uh, we have justice because of this system. And I can't say which one is right or wrong. I mean, there's countless examples in favor of probably both directions. There are it times, is. yeah, there are times when groups of people were only able to find justice because of the system that's in place. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to. And there are surely people who've been tread upon by the system and, and can't find justice perhaps within the system or even maybe because of the system. It's hard to say. Thank you, mm -hmm. Bobby. Cora, you're up. I think one of the things I'd like to highlight is that you can't think about every tenant in isolation from the world. Like, you know, I, I look at what we're doing right now, and that's great that we're going to focus on one, but right, what constitutes justice, what constitutes everything, you know, that's where there's other tenets, that's where there's other satanic philosophies to look at. You know, for me, a good example specific to like my group, which is transgender, right, is one's body is inviolable subject to one's will, own will, which is the next tenet, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and I look at something like, um, transgender youth getting their health care uh, for gender affirming care taken away just, you know, like by people who have no idea what the actual like science says or anything like that, or how trans people actually feel about it. Right. They don't talk to us. They're just making this up. And I, you know, I've even started to suggest things like maybe we need to find someone who is transgender and 17. Right who can't get their stuff, their, their things in Texas, right? The, the medication, they have to drive to another state to go get medication, yeah. right? Which I actually know someone who's doing that because of the laws that have been put in place. And, um, 
to me, it's like, well, we're Satanists and we have a religion and it says my body's inviolable. So give me my meds. At a certain point, could you even claim, is that even an example of how I could say that violates my religious freedom to not be able to get my medication because my body's inviolable or abortion law. Right. And I, I think for me, that's where this kind of comes in. Like we need to look at it, not in isolation, but in the greater scheme of the morality that Satan follows. Yeah. And when you see these people on the other side who are pushing for these different laws and rules and things that will work against a group like trans people or uh, transgender youth specifically, what do you tend to think their motivation is? I believe it's religiously motivated. Uh, personally, yeah. I honestly think that it's based upon a misunderstanding of their own even religion, because um, it tends to be Christians who have that point of view. Um, and you can't you know, take that out of the context because they're the ones who are pushing for it. Yeah, um, They see it as a form of justice because we are violating their God's law. We're not violating the law of even some a state or something like that in general in most places. We're violating their morals, right? Their uh, religion. But because theirs is the only way. Because theirs is the only way. And I think that that's where that struggle, that, you know, thing needs to prevail over those laws and institutions yeah. such as religious ent- entities. Yeah. And we can't take that out of the context of everything because looking at, you know, something like the Christian church and how they have done this um, and are getting involved in politics now. Uh, forcing people like me to be afraid, quite literally. Uh, to me, it's it, that's where this tenant comes in. Yeah. Thank you, Cora. Essie, you're up. Well, I think probably the first thing about, actually, this was probably the first tenant that like actually drew me into looking into Satanism and, and all of that, because to me, it's it's very active and it's very unlike any other. I grew up, you know, very Catholic family and it's very unlike anything <laughs> um, growing up in, in, in that regard. Um, though I did like growing up also, I was always very involved in um, protesting things um, as many Catholics do going to like marches, you know, pro-life marches and whatnot. But um, I think what it is, is that it's, it's to me, it suggests that it's something that we're needing to be doing and it's very active. And I, and I like that. about it. And I think it, I know it challenges me to not be complacent, which I think can be really easy to do. And there's so much going on and it's, you know, it's overwhelming all, you know, there's wars happening in Europe and we are constantly bombarded with anti-trans bills, anti um, all this legislation against women's bodies and our reproductive justice. Um, so to me, it's just a it's a call to action. And I think much like what um, was said before, it, it's like you can't just isolate it, too, because it does go on with these others. Um, yeah. So I guess I'm kind of speaking in draft here, but that was just something that like for me, it was very it's very active and challenges us, too. And you said that that was the one that sort of yeah. got your attention and hooked you at yeah, first. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And now yeah. there's always. You know, I see discussions a lot. I don't know if it's quite a debate, but when people talk about the Satanic Temple generally, there's a lot of discussion. You know, some people will say, oh, well, they're an activist group or a, you know, a political activist group. And sometimes that can be said as just sort of 
you know, factually, well, that's what that group appears to be. And I think some use it almost almost in a derogatory way, uh, maybe not mm-hmm. derogatory, but they're belittling the value of Satanism or at least the organization of the Satanic Temple as a religious organization by means of saying, well, they're not a religion, they're a, an activist group only. And would you say that was, like when you saw it, you, was it sort of connecting with you just on that level of, okay, this is activism and I want in? Maybe I, at least for me, activism has, like I said, growing up, going to these, you know, anti-choice um, marches and things, activism has always been part of my religion. Yeah. Um, but I guess in the same, in the same realm, like they would never say something, you know, they would never say something like this. I don't think, um, and just like we were saying, you can use anything to meet your perspective or, you yeah. know, we can say justice is subjective or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, just because it was like, it's in the, it's in the tenets. It was that I was like, okay, this is what to me was, is really important. And especially as like an educator and as a performer, and we were talking about, you know, people's rights being taken away and people being discriminated because they're different. Um, to me, it's like, that was, I don't know, to me, that was the, the major thing that drew me in. Yeah. Um, I can imagine yeah. that this, this tenant and the spirit of it generally and the way it's worded is the one that would really connect with the fist in the air person <laughs> who, who is looking for that, you know, who already feels that way. But to find that idea sort of articulated by a group like the Satanic Temple can be powerful. I'm sure you're not the only one that it grabbed in that way. Probably not. No. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thank you, Essie. Mm-hmm. Russ. This is kind of tough for me, but the second one of ongoing pursuit, it's more like a lifetime. And number six kind of messes with me as well. Um, when I was eight, I've had 40 years to think about it and it still doesn't get me better. I was molested as a kid and my cousin both um, by his uncle. Um, I think about it a lot every day, you know, and it's his backstory. He was schizophrenic because as a child, he was growing up. He watched his mom get raped when they were hitchhiking on the side of the road. So I think as six, you know, people are fallible, but is there an extent to anything for justice or fallibility as being a human? Where do you start and where do you stop with that? Yes. I debated whether or not to directly include this idea in this chat or if it's worthy of a separate one. It is the idea of justice versus forgiveness and which one takes priority and when and why and all of those things. And that's the kind of what came to mind when you were just saying that. Yeah, because I'll never forgive because to this day, you know, I base how my life is going off of everything that happened with that. Yeah. You know, my relationship status sucks because anytime I get close to somebody, I push them away because yeah. I guess when I, you know, I talk to counselors and everything, I wasn't on Monday night zoom because unfortunately, if you want to call it that, this is that anniversary, but I can't forgive them because of the fact that, you know, I, consider all my relationship status as a failure because once I get too close to somebody, 
I love to, but I always find a way out because I just have a hard time connecting. I don't want to love somebody and then something bad happened, I guess. So it's just the point of, you know, I always want to see justice done, but his mom passed several years ago. So he's in an, in an institution, oh. you know, there's parts of me that don't want to blame him because he had his own issues. But then again, I blame him every day for the fact of how he fucked up my life. Yeah. I mean, I can't relate directly, but I can only imagine that that type of struggle um, that you have to deal with. I'm sorry. You have to deal with that. Yeah, man. And even connecting justice to that, we've, we've talked about it a lot in the context of more um, social justice, things like civil rights and, and all of that type of stuff. But there is obviously the more singular version of that justice to an individual, like in this case. Um, and maybe we'll end up, maybe we'll touch on things like, uh, I don't know, one that pops up in, in my mind is something like the West Memphis three cases where individuals have been affected and may or may not have found justice through their struggles for it. I don't know if that directly connects in any meaningful way, but I appreciate you being willing to share all that with us, Russ. And of course you can talk amongst the group about anything you like at your leisure. There's always people willing to listen. Yeah. I just had to like, you know, because you look at like the dark side of me, it's like, you know, I got two bullets right over here thinking it's either going to be me or him, but he's out of my picture. I have too much to live for. Yeah. But, and I try to forgive because it's not necessarily always his fault because he did have issues in his head too. Yes. Well, I try to look at both images, but that's where it's so hard to differentiate between okay, this happened. I got to get over it, but you just can't get over it. It's always there. You learn to live with it, Yeah, of but course. it's not something you want to live with. I don't think anyone could ever blame you if you felt like you could never forgive a person like that. But I, a thing that came up when we had discussed this before was the idea that forgiving someone is really more about the forgiver, I think, if you're able to not just say the words, hey, I forgive you, it's okay, that's one thing, and that's nice, and on that level, it's more for the other person, the person being forgiven. But to actually mean it, to really mean it, to inside feel like that you've forgiven someone who has wronged you in some way, most of that work benefits you, you know, the person who's doing the forgiving. Because if you're carrying around that weight of whatever it is, a resentment, an anger, a whatever, holding a grudge in some cases, if you could call it that, finally letting it go in the form of like a, an actual genuine forgiveness is probably goes a long way in helping you. And I don't mean specifically you, but maybe you as well. Um, it goes a long way in helping you heal and move forward and letting that go, because I can only imagine, you know, I've, it's not the same, but I've carried around resentment and anger about issues and held grudges over periods of time with people. And I've felt the difference between that and what it feels like when you're actually able to let it go and forgive. So I don't know, I don't know if your path forward 
involves that type of forgiveness or not. Like I said, no one could fault you if you didn't feel that way. It would be perfectly reasonable, I think, to not. But but maybe something to consider, you know, just for your own for your own sake, you know. Yeah, I, I try to. And it's just so hard. There's days it's like, you know what, it's not his fault. Yeah. He had his own issues. But then again, you know, in life something comes up and it's just like, oh, that son of a bitch, you know whatever else, but you know, I deal with it on a day-to-day basis, but you have them times where it comes up and just kind of hits you hard. But, you know, growing up, you know, as the Christian way is my mom did and stuff, you know, they always had that do unto others as you'd have do unto you. Uh, I say, how's that work? If they treat me like shit, do I treat them like shit or do I treat them good? No matter what they treat me like, you know, and it's just like, that's just not right because if they're going to treat me like shit and put me down and, degrade me or why am I going to treat them nice? You know, is that the, uh, turn the other cheek, right? Yeah. You know, they both mean a lot to me two and six, but it's just a hard spot to be in between them. It sure is it. None of it, none of it is easy. Thank you very much, Russ. Rob, you're up. Uh, I'd like to thank, uh, Russ for sharing that as well. Um, I think what Russ touched on about like justice is, so often the focus of justice is like punitive. It's always like after the fact, or are we going to give justice for those who have, uh, you know, wronged us. And I mean, as Russ touched on uh, a trauma that he's still dealing with today. I mean, I think about myself, um, my, when I was six years old, I, a, a guy came into our backyard, a stranger and, he raped my sister and I had to like fight off it. And it's this big thing. And I don't want to really go into detail about that, but it stays with you. These are the things that stay with people. And when you think about justice, Oh, sending people to prison and all those things. uh, And you think even when the attacker or your violator goes to prison, you know, the trauma doesn't disappear. You you still have to have the moral hazard, the weights are put on you to have to go to put your time to therapy and all that struggle continues. And so as a society, when we think about taking justice into our own hands and all these things, society gives us these scaffoldings, these things you say that they tell you you're supposed to be appeased by this. We gave you this. Your tax dollars went to put this guy in a cage for five years. Shouldn't you be satiated? And yet still for decades, you're still haunted by these things. And that's why justice is really a struggle because it's really about creating that, that, you know, what, what is right, what is fair in your own world, in your own mind, in your own life, in your own community, and as well as in your own nation. So that that's a, a constant struggle that goes from the personal to the larger. And a part of that self-assessment, I'd like to really think about a quote that grounds me when I think about my own place in life and whatnot is it's a quote from Thomas Paine uh, uh, Thomas Paine when he wrote in the age of reason back in like 1794 he wrote whatever is my right as a man is also the right of another and it's my duty to guarantee as well as to possess so as far as thinking about justice it means hey what 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 do I have that other people should have and as far as like striving and struggling towards that as well. Yeah. Maybe I just connect everything in the world to the fourth tenet, but that's really at the root of that one as well. The freedom to offend necessitates you be willing to be offended. And mm-hmm. and that's always the struggle with that one. I want to be free to say my shit, but I don't like that shit you're saying. So you better stop. <laughs> well, it doesn't work that way, right? 
And you had mentioned, you know, the idea of justice in many cases being punitive, right? And it in so many cases, especially the way the judicial system works over time, in many cases, it almost requires there to be a victim, be it a, a person, a group, and something. Uh, and so the justice that we work toward doesn't always affect very directly. It's sort of it's sort of planting justice for the future. Um, it's kind of too late for this person, but we need to make this law work for the next time this comes around or put things in place so that when this happens inevitably, again, we can be ready for it or have rules in place for it. Um, and that kind of thing happens all the time. When, when, there's a, when somebody shoots up another school, Again, people will start the conversation about, we need to change some rules, and, you know, around and around we go. But so much of it is, I think, trying to provide justice for the future based on an incident or a something that took place. Thank you, Rob. Frankie, what have you got? Hi, give me one second. Oh, okay. We'll wait for you, Frank. Hi. So, yeah, um, with the second tenant, I just wanted to basically say that. Um, so when I read it, like the struggle for justice prevailing over laws and institutions, I think the biggest thing with the struggle for justice is that it takes so long to actually evolve our written law. And oh, that's yeah. why I think it's super important that people on their day to day basis should do things that you know, if they see like injustice, like somebody being bullied or like a hate crime committed in front of them, something to that nature, it's so important for us to individually like stand up for those things. That way it makes more of like a whole change happen, like kind of behind the scenes, I guess, because in accordance with the law, anything written, it takes so long because, you know, we have the same people just being elected in different positions, but all like the same group of people generally in our government who are controlling these laws. And it's a lot harder to convince all of those people who have been doing it for like 30, 40, 50 years to change it. But if we can, as people in our communities and like individually change like our mindsets and just our little actions um, to be like more compassionate and caring of other situations, I think it overall helps make that slow change happen a little more rapidly, at least for the day-to-day stuff. Yeah, it requires that application of pressure. And I don't know, what what is the saying about uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? And Mm -hmm. the squeakier the wheel, the more annoying that shit is, the quicker you're more likely to apply the grease. And that's kind of how it works, right? If there's a few people mad at a law somewhere and they're like, man, this law sucks, but I got stuff to do. Well, that law isn't likely to be changed or that policy or that mindset at a company or whatever uh, isn't likely. But, you know, when you've got something so undeniable, like you had with civil rights leaders and things like that in the 60s, you know, it was sort of like, it's hard to fucking ignore this right now. It's it's out there every day. It's in our faces. It's growing. Um, this is something that needs to be addressed pretty fucking quickly. And yeah, the wheels turn way too slowly. Like you said, Frank, everything takes too long. The justice system takes too long. The legal system takes too long. Everything moves really slow. And uh, I think it is generally just the will of the people 
who can help to speed those things up, I guess. It still doesn't feel like it ever moves quickly enough, but I guess if you leave the status quo alone, it will just sit there (laughs) proud of itself. I just think it's super important just to at least be aware of it. And as long as people are like talking about these issues and coming together, even in like smaller communities, like sure laws may get passed that we don't like, but talking about it and still striving to change them should always be like the main goal. And like the main goal should always be that like you individually treat people with respect and that like you can help it around you. Cause at the end of the day, like, yeah, our laws are very flawed. Our system fucking sucks. And unfortunately that's not probably going to change even in my lifetime. Not that I can see, but I think just to keep a positive mindset about like just our day to day and like just how we treat each other, at least makes a difference. And especially talking about it and like, you know, even like on TikTok and stuff, I see so many things that like just generally bring me more enlightened to people's experiences, especially like, you know, a couple of my friends recently came out that they're trans, like growing up, like I went to Catholic high school. So like, I didn't even know what that meant until, well, you know, like I'm 25 now. So like my early twenties, I like, that's the first time I really heard what like trans was. Like I never even knew these things really existed in the world. So I like, for me, it might be something new, but like, these are things that people have been going through their whole lives. And like, I'm just finding these things out and I'm like, Oh my God, like we need to like do all the things we can to like help and change and do all this stuff. And like, I'm realizing like when it's in accordance to the law makes it way much harder, way slower, but at least like as a person, I can educate myself and do what I can to kind of just be knowledgeable and aware about the issues around me and kind of help prevent like it that way. For sure. Good point. And, and even shrinking that down to a group like ours, like how easy is it to come into a group like ours? Like, what do we have, you know, 40 people or whatever on, on a thing like this right now. And we've got people from so many different places in the world, so many different lifestyles and lived experiences and you name it. And what a great opportunity for us to be kind of up close and personal with all these different lived experiences that we can learn about and learn from that like it would have taken years hoping, waiting, you know, wondering if you'd ever run in to such a collection of people, you know, we have people that are trans all in our zoom right now. And we have people that live in places that I'll never be on the zoom right now and all of these different things, you know, and it's just a great way for us to be able to get in there and understand a bunch of new things. And, you know, when on a good day, when everybody's in the good mood and we're working the way we should work, we can ask each other all kind of wild questions, that if you're just chatting with your friend, it doesn't even feel like a wild question anymore. You know, it feels like, hey, you know, I've been wondering, let's, you know, can we talk about this? And most of the time it's like, yeah, let's talk about it. Unfortunately, the world at large doesn't always have that same opportunity. You're just over there living your life. You live in Oklahoma and you go to work and you just, I don't know, you watch whatever fucking news channel you got and that's what you know. And and your perspective is skewed and whatever. There are biases at play. Um, sometimes it's an unintentional thing, which is a bias. And sometimes, you know, maybe it's, uh, more intentional than that. I don't know where I'm going with this <laughs> other than to say that I think, I think it's to our advantage that we have situations like this where we can gain so many different perspectives and, and just learn new things. And that gives 
a much more clear picture of what justice would look like or should look like and and maybe sometimes give a clue about who would be affected by that and how to go about it. But thank you, Frank. Yep, thank you. Casket, you're up. When I read the second tenet, the biggest thing that stands out to me is just the second part of it, which we should be prevailing over laws and institutions. That part is my favorite because I feel like I kind of think more inward on this one more than outward. And I use, and I'll just use, you know, say the black lives matter protests um, as an example, but, you know, I did my fair share of protesting and things, but really it's kind of about looking inward and knowing that kind of as an individual, like the way I feel about it is that, I am kind of above the law. Like I'm literally not going to let a police officer, a security guard, anybody in quote unquote power do anything to me that I wouldn't want to have happen to me naturally, I guess is the best way to put it. I won't ever let anyone change anything about me. Tell me how to live my life, how to, you know, think that they're correcting me when I don't feel that should be happening. If that makes sense. I suspect that you mean that you could attach the words, this is a different tenet, but you could attach the words within reason. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you can definitely have that view and also be a murderer and think that, you know, you should be able to walk the streets and rape and murder however much you want because you're above the law. <laughs> or, or just whatever yeah. it is, you so, know, you, yeah, you know, so like, I want this thing and, you know, it's about $8 more than I think it's worth. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's a lot of that, but of course, you know, we exist in a society. We've got to play nicely when, when possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, you get a sense, I'm sure as an individual, when, when something is over the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's a very tough one, but yeah, I just, I feel like, I don't think a lot of us really agree with, uh, you know, a lot of the laws that are in place right now or how they're handled. And so it's kind of just, (laughs) trying to stay away from that as much as possible, if at all possible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's so many instances of laws that I'm sure any of us could think of right now. Like that's dumb. That's, that's either just a dumb law. It doesn't make sense or it's mean spirited or this wasn't thought through, you name it. There's a million of these laws. Um, But those same organizations, those same, the same system overall that provides us with those laws that are obviously fucked up and just ridiculous. They also provide us with all the other laws, (laughs) the ones that we're like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, (laughs) The ones that are there to protect us, the ones that do protect us and, and that we rely on. And man, it's just layer after layer of complications and pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, yeah. And those same fucking cops, right? These fucking cops, right? You know, my, my stance on the police, I don't know if I should say this on a publicly viewable thing, but okay. My stance regarding the police generally has been fuck the police. I mean, that's just kind of where I sit in my life. But having said that, if some kind of shit's going down at my house, I guess I'm going to call the police. I mean, what the fuck else am I going to, you know what I mean? Like they're the police. So you're supposed to assume that the things are going to work the right way or the way they're designed to or whatever. Well, and it's all about, you know, and now this is kind of a tangent, but you know, calling the appropriate people for the appropriate situation. So, I mean, just now, especially in Portland, I feel like, you know, it's definitely 
things have changed a lot since the protests. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot more violence and theft and things because the police are not responding because a lot of them have left the force. Um, So people are kind of, you know, reeling from that and, you know, getting confused. And it's like, well, this is kind of what we were protesting for, right? Was to not have as many of you (laughs) that are being violent and, you know, things like that. So, you know, it is what it is. That's kind of the consequence of that, that nobody really thought through, but also calling, you know, there, there's a lot of programs out there to do welfare checks on people and to respond to, you know, mental health crises rather than just calling the police because there's, you know, a transient person that is yelling on the street, you know, let's not call the cops for that. Let's actually call, you know, people that are trained to respond to, you know, houseless people and people with mental health issues and things like that. Yeah. Um, so that plays a huge part too. And just, you know, knowing that, you know, or, you know, I know of some uh, states that don't have like animal control and stuff and they just call police to deal with right. animals and they just like kill the animals, you know, because they don't the police aren't really for that. So there's like, you know, areas of the U.S. that do that, I guess, too, which is. I wonder if uh, <laughs> again, we could we could go down a rabbit hole in any direction here, but yeah, but I wonder if maybe. In some nearish future, the police, uh, in part, in addition to what their duties ought to be, maybe there'll be some sort of middleman directing these um, calls or things to the appropriate places. You know, by yeah. by default, it's going to take a long time for mainstream society to adjust from the mindset of something's wrong, call the cops. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of what it's been for a long time um, yeah. because who the fuck else are you going to call? There's, we don't know. We don't know the option. What, where do you call the other people? I don't know who, mm-hmm. what other people, you know, who knows um, yeah. by default, those co- the cops are going to be the first option. And I think um, the quickest way to improve that situation might be to just let them accept that call and then send it where it needs to go. Yeah, have kind of everybody kind of all on standby and have the operators instead just kind of triage yeah. stuff you know, kind of to the right place. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. I if I had a if I had a random animal situation going on in my neighborhood, I don't know. I don't have a number to call. I don't know who to call. I'm sure there is something, maybe, I guess. But yeah. off the top of my head, I know how to call nine one one. You know, yeah. um, I don't know how who else to call, but I'm sure we could figure it out. But it's gonna take time. Yeah. Um, and like yeah. you're probably, you know, like you said, in, in Portland and the surrounding areas, people didn't want police and, yeah. and, and they weren't entirely, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a knee jerk reaction, but you can certainly relate to the sentiment of, well, fuck this, fuck these police. We don't even want these police. Yeah. And it's reasonable to have that emotion. But now, fuck, there's a police shortage And like, it's, it's like, you just can't win, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's why I like, you know, kind of thinking more of stuff like this more inward and not, you know, the outward protesting, like I'm all for it to a point, but I mean, looking at the aftermath now, I mean, we're a couple, almost a couple years past it. And I mean, half of downtown Portland is boarded up. Um, and there's, you know, a lot of stuff is just taken over with, you know, tent, cities and stuff like that because there's more space for that now because there's no businesses anymore everything's shut down down there and it's kind of a ghost town down there and it's really creepy yeah that's that's wild 
So, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. A people are moving here from California going, oh, well, there's no fancy restaurants or, you know, it's all weird down here. Yeah. Like, yeah. People are fleeing <laughs> California for all kinds of reasons. And some yeah. of them land in Portland and are in for a shock. <laughs> and yeah, making it more expensive for everybody to live here. Right. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, Casket. Uh, Noel, you're up. Uh, so I usually look at the big picture. And I just have it written down here, so just bear it with me. So just like each species changes and evolves along with the ever-changing environment, ideas of freedom and justice do as well. It is unavoidable that we must keep up with this changing atmosphere. Laws and institutions are byproducts of these ideas. And by the time they are solidified in function, they will begin to expire in relevance and must be revised again. Change is the only constant. There will never be a permanent answer for all times and all peoples. So the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. That's it. Yes. Well said, Noel. That's what I got. (laughs) Well said, Noel. Thank you. Yeah. Bobby, what have you got? I think our society in general is just complacent. They don't care. Nobody cares what's going on until something extreme happens. No one's paying attention. Nobody's reading these House bills, Senate bills. And they're difficult to read. I actually read them. The state ones are easier. They're pretty straightforward. The federal ones, they sneak a lot of shit in there. Oh, yeah. Um, And uh, these laws aren't objective. Most of them are largely based in religion. Like right now in Ohio, there are two different laws that are going to get voted on. There's a Senate bill and a House bill making it illegal for a doctor to perform surgery on a woman with an ectopic pregnancy without implanting it into the uterus. The physician would be charged with murder. Yeah. This is not a thing. This is science fiction. Yeah. This would kill women. And they put that law in place so that it won't be done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because uh, it's the people who wrote the laws, one's a Catholic, one's a Christian. And, you know, they wrote these bills and they're to be voted on. And they, they have no knowledge of anything medical. These people are so far removed from what they're writing laws about. It's ridiculous. Like if you don't know an ectopic pregnancy is where it implants somewhere else inside your body could be anywhere. It's not in the uterus. Right. And they want doctors to take it and just put it in the uterus, which is just, it will kill people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the specifics of that, but it sounds troubling. The the motivation (laughs) there is to make it just not even be a thing, make it, um, but we need to pay attention to what's going on, what they're trying to do. And they do make every effort to make it really hard to do that. They do, but it's all, it's all out there. Yeah. Um, all proposed bills are on the government websites. You can read them. Yeah. And I think, I think you started maybe by just saying that we get, or, you know, people generally can get complacent about things. And I felt that for sure. I mean, I've been guilty of that. If, if, 
I'm not sure if guilty is the word, but maybe it is. Um, I've definitely fallen into that. I've been frustrated and lost hope sometimes in the general political system and the way things work. I've felt that way. And and I know it's not always, it doesn't always lead to the most, it's, it's not always the most helpful thing, but it happens. Thank you, Bobby. Who have we got up next? Kate. So I was just going to touch on, Cora was talking about it a little bit earlier. When I think about the time and I think about like what the actual struggles we face as Satanists, and I think Christian nationalism is one of the biggest struggles that we face as Satanists. Mm-hmm. And I just think that like when they infuse their religion, they infuse their religion with these laws and institutions. And then when we think about when we're saying justice has priority over these laws and institutions, I think that we can actually infer from this tenant that as modern Satanists, separation of religion and these institutions is actually what's important here too. So I feel like getting out of this tenant is also important that we're separating the two as well. What is an example of what you mean more specifically? So like prevailing, when we're saying like prevailing over laws and institutions, Mm -hmm. we're also making sure that our religion takes press, that our religion is separated from the two as well. So we're not infusing our religion with those institutions or laws. Yeah. Just a, a more of a general separation of church and state. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because I, because I feel like with the rise of Christian nationalism being so prominent in America now, it's becoming a big threat within our society. You know, it's getting a little hectic out there. So I always, by default, I believe that there should definitely be a pretty significant separation of church and state. I, I'm a big fan of that idea. I, I never think that in reality it exists enough. There isn't enough of a separation for me. However, what about just, uh, and, and again, we might be out in the weeds a little bit here, guys, sorry, but what about, well, for example, the Satanic Temple is going to great lengths to use its status as a religious organization to create religious exemptions to laws and specifically using that position as a church to have political power. That's specifically what it is, and I and I believe that's more or less the reason why the Satanic Temple wanted to be recognized as a religious organization by the government in the first place, uh, which is counterintuitive. On paper, it makes no sense. We want church separation of church and state, but if you want political power, you need to be a church. And so is involving a religious organization to create political change or gain political power a good move? I don't know but it definitely muddies the waters a little bit, I think. But if that's the only way to get around it, you know, even just using the the isolated example of like abortions and the abortion ritual and r- abortion restrictions and all these things, um, if you want to get around some laws, start talking about your religion. I don't know. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I'm not sure. Thank you very much, Kate. Rob, you're up. Given how our structure of our society is, Using, you know, like TST, using like religious exemptions, 
I think that's like, that's gaming the system. That's how, that's how we have to operate. There's yeah. so much little exemptions. There's always ooh, the religious exemptions of sort of all sorts of structures. Yeah. And it's, you know, is it bullshit? Yeah. Do I think it's bullshit that only you have to be in like a certain like native American tribe to smoke peyote? Uh, yeah, I do think that's bullshit, but somehow uh, that's like the Supreme court came up to that. Like, Oh, well, you know, there, someone said, you can't make me uh, not criminalize my smoking peyote because that's my religious right to smoke peyote. Oddly, the satanic temple is sort of an exception to this in a way, but so often, especially with religious exemptions, you're literally, you're gaining an advantage or you're being given some special privilege in exchange for being superstitious mm-hmm. and anti-scientific. Like, I believe in this God or this spirit or this whatever the fuck. And so, therefore, I want to do a thing that's illegal. Is that cool? Yes, we'll grant you that. What the fuck are we talking about? Like, that's not a real thing in a, in a, in a good system. That is a flaw, I find. Um, but, of course, it is the same flaw that you say. It's being exploited by the Satanic Temple. Just the fact that that system exists for there to be such a thing as a religious exemption, which in and of itself is a wild fucking idea. Religious exemption, like laws are laws, but they're not because we have religious exemption. Um, Well, even Thomas Aquinas said that an an unjust law is no law at all. And that guy's a Christian saint. So, I mean, (laughs) maybe that's what it kind of draws from as far as like a, like a legal tradition um, of why even Christian nationalists are are probably going for this type of stuff. Yeah. And you even last thing you, you mentioned um, some of those folks might not use the word justice, but if you boil it down, like they might use, they might use the word like right, you know, like we want to do what is right. And, you know, whether that feels just or even like justice, you know, we talked about the scales, you know, that's sort of the symbol of justice, right? The, the balanced scales. Um, and that's justice when everything is in balance and things, things are working and, and the crime fits the punishment and you name it. Um, it's, what's right is me having more power than other people. That's yeah, what I do. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's right is. Yeah. What what feels right for one person may not feel so right for somebody else. Um, thanks, Rob. Tiffany, you're up. So uh, just like Kate mentioned, you know, the one thing that struck me with this uh, second tenet is really how specific it is to Satanists and like TST in particular, just because of like all the lobbying and the work that they do just to bring us a place at the table. Like you mentioned, you know, a lot of the laws and, you know, using it to our advantage to be, you know, an actual quote unquote religion, right? Like that, whether or not that's like a valid point, we need that in order to actually like make things happen for us. Um, especially like look at Texas, but like, you know, I was um, looking at some of the reading material that they have on the TST site, and I started reading one of the books there, you know, talking about like the specific Christian America concept and uh, the Christian nationalists. And, 
you know, it's really interesting to me just to look at the history of it. And like, I think a couple of people said too, educating yourself with any kind of topic as far as justice wise, and to see, you know, where the roots kind of stem for, you know, the mix of corporate and Christianity and the politics of it. And just looking at just for so long, how I think we touched on this in the very beginning, you know, white men, Christian white men have had a seat at the table and they were the ones to make the laws. And they're the ones then that have that bias, whether implicit or not. And, you know, they get to have that say for the rest of us. Is it, let me, let me just preface this by saying I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here. Um, If white men, you know, people land on a patch of earth and they figure it out from there, right? They build what they build. They make systems and it goes the way it goes. If everyone is essentially equal and these Christian white men through whatever means got themselves into the position that they're in of dominance, is that fair? Did they earn it? And is it their duty to give it up or is it their very nature by being an animal to want to preserve it? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think uh, some people have mentioned, too, about, you know, justice evolving. And, you know, I think when we look at especially like taking your kind of example and making it specific to like America, you know, I think some of the people would argue that at the time of us declaring our independence, like, okay, well, that was maybe the majority at the time. Right. And but that is not the case anymore. When you look at our diverse landscape of people, white Christian man is maybe not the majority anymore. And so what does that look like, you know, um, as far as laws and everything else. And especially when you talk about like religion, because I think, you know, back then there was not as much sharing of ideas. There wasn't as much like education or communication to know how diverse we really were. And now we have all these tools, like you said, to connect us so that we can talk to people that aren't like us and know things. And so having that at our fingertips to have education and have better resources, I think is another thing that you can't just say like, oh, I didn't know you know, as far as like oppressing something or not giving someone, you know, a say at the table. I guess it goes without saying part of it is always going to be struggling to have a seat at the table. You know, whoever doesn't wants it. (laughs) The people who have it don't want to give it up. And this is where we find ourselves. Um, Is that it, Tiffany? Are you good? Yeah. Thank you very much. Casket, you're up. Um, just building on everything that's been said in the last 10 or so minutes, uh, the, the only small thing I would add is kind of more of a question, which is if justice is an ongoing pursuit and needs to prevail over laws and institutions, should we go outside of laws and institutions to change things and who needs to do that? That's kind of the biggest thing I think too. And I tried to touch on that, I think, and I just got really awkward and didn't really say that. Last yeah, time, well, but, I mean, that's um, is that the very nature of protest sometimes? Um, yeah. 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 Um, you're certainly not allowed to be standing in the middle of the street, blocking traffic, hollering. You know, you sure as shit can't throw anything. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't do these things. That's surely that's against some law. 
that's on and the books. Vigilantism. Yeah, like all of mentioned. it. Yeah, yeah, all of it against the law. And and I think early on that's what brought my attention to the idea of, you know, when when you were mentioning, you know, we want less cops. Well, now you got less cops. <laughs> We don't want this system. Well, now you don't have it how you like it. It's a yeah. fine balance. It's a fine balance. Yeah. And, <laughs> and yeah. you know, and I'm not even necessarily saying like, oh, we should all just raise hell and, you know, just anarchy and, you know, <laughs> fires everywhere and, you know, <laughs> to burn down, burn everything down or whatever. But, you know, even just um, breaking laws, like in really, like, I can't even think of an example, but just like doing very sly, you know, kind of. Well, but sure, sure. Just kind of quiet things that are just sort of happening in the background. But also I think there's maybe a place for the other stuff. Yeah. You know, I think, I think there's a time and a place for it, you know, when all, all right, I'll just get into it for a minute here. When all of that goes on, all of that stuff goes on. When George Floyd aftermath, you know, is, is always the most recent sort of one that's in our memory. When that, when that goes on, you know, it starts from a place of just emotional response, right? It's like, what the fuck? Why would they do this? How could they do this? This is shitty. Fuck these guys. It's all emotion, right? And then people do what they do. There's there's going to be protests to, and the idea, the purpose of these protests ought to be to express that dissatisfaction with the way the system is playing out and to demand attention on the issue, you know, on the mm-hmm. example and to the reason for all of that is to hopefully provide change. Uh, seeking justice is the way and that's what it's for. But in reality on the ground, when it's all going down, we've seen this story before, you know, and we've seen the diff- the nuance of how it plays out. Like you have protesters, right? And then what else do you have? It's looters. That's the word they always use on the news, right? Looters, rioters, looters, and you have protesters. And I guess on paper, the separation is supposed to be, if you're really protesting something, you're just peacefully protesting. You're Martin Luther King Jr. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to, you do what you're supposed to do. You give your message and you will enact change. You don't Mm -hmm. need to throw a cinder block through the mom and pop store on the corner because what the fuck? Why would you do that? Who is yeah. it helping? Has it ever helped? No, of course not. Um, anybody who is a little bit old like me and remembers when all of this shit already happened in Los Angeles in the 90s, yeah. uh, we watched it. We watched Los Angeles burn. We watched mm-hmm. people get killed for no reason. We watched everything get fucking destroyed because of police violence. So the thought is if we do this, if we freak out, if we break up our whole city, then we won't have people killed by the cops anymore, obviously. Well, look at us. Here we are. How many years later? How many times has this happened since Rodney King till now? Uh, Four million times, I'm guessing, approximately. Um, And so when it happens the next time, they will do it again. Everyone will do the same things again. (laughs) Um, And it will happen again, unfortunately. And people will react in all the same ways, unfortunately. But we hope that over time, we're weathering away at it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's frustrating when I was watching that shit go down and like it was happening, you know, near here in Philadelphia, you know, our center city was getting all fucked up. Um, and my thought was that 
all of that same, those same actions, especially out in Minneapolis, you know, all that same energy and actions and aggression and all of that stuff, we understand where it comes from. And if the goal of it is change, then I think it's so much more potent if you take it and aim it not at the Apple store, but at the police station where all of that shit was the problem to begin with. Yeah. It seemed like a wasted opportunity to me that, that hurt people that didn't need to be hurt and didn't Mm -hmm. deserve to be hurt. And it was just a missed opportunity energy misspent on the wrong target. I feel like, and, uh, it's just an unfortunate part of it all, you know? It sure is. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing too, is that, you know, there are people that do try to make changes in different ways, especially regarding police by becoming police officers themselves and coming from, you know, uh, different backgrounds and stuff. And they go, okay, well, I'm going to be part of this and I'm going to change everything from the inside. And I'm going to, you know, be watchful of my colleagues and know when somebody is doing shady shit and I'm going to, you know, report them or, you know, do anything I can to get them out of the force and just kind of work from the inside. And so I do have some appreciation for people like that. Of course. Um, They're definitely very, you know, far and few between, but I do understand that mindset too. And I I do like that. If we had a whole lot of those people, that might be really legitimately helpful. I love, you know, some, some fire and some violence and things like that directed in the right way. But I do like that sneaky shit too. Absolutely. Yeah. Very intelligent, quiet, sneaky, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's (laughs) one, one mindset is basically what you're describing, you know, the idea of infiltrating the system, you know, or, or that, that even has a negative connotation, but it's really improving the system from the inside, you know, get in there and overcome the bullshit and hope for change. And there's another mindset. I I won't dare try to find like the real quote, but the notion is that you can't change or fix a system by playing by that system's rules, essentially. Um, It's Mm -hmm. impossible or so it goes. And I don't know. They both feel, they both feel kind of valid. You know, both of those viewpoints seem valid. Uh, I don't know what the right answer is, but they, they both feel, they both feel true, you know, Um, and maybe both need to happen at the same time. Yeah. 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 Uh, Cool. Well, thank you casket. And with that, we will conclude this episode. Now this was just an edited down section of what was a very lively two and a half hour discussion. So if that type of thing interests you, consider joining up with the gang in satanic Delco and participate with us. We'd love to have you. Until next time, you can visit the website at HailSatanPodcast.com. Stay safe out there, and Hail Satan.